You're listening to the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast, where we focus on taking your passion and turning it into your profits. Join us for interviews with business experts, industry influencers, and more. Let's get to it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Next Generation Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Cotton, and today we are going to be doing some hot takes. Uh, I may make a couple people angry with this episode, uh, but that is not the intent. The intent is to just have an open and honest conversation. And so we are going to be talking about the truth about D2 gyms and D1 gyms. Now, before we get into the episode, before anyone gets frustrated, make sure that you head over to NG Cheer and Gymnastics Owners Facebook group if you're a gym owner and you have joined that group. If you're not a gym owner or you are a gym owner and you're also a coach, head over to All-Star Coaches and Owners group on Facebook where we have great conversations in both of those groups, a lot of really, really good stuff. There's been tons of engagement lately um, and it's been really good conversations. So make sure you've joined both of those groups and you're contributing. Ask questions. It's a safe space uh, and we want you to be able to ask questions. And if you've done both of those things, make sure you've headed over to nextgenowners.com where you have subscribed to our mailing list where you will get information about upcoming events as well as our blogs. And one of those upcoming events you want information about if you're not already registered for our conference, June 23rd through the 25th in Dallas, Texas. You guys, this one's going to be off the hook. We are pulling out all the stops. We are going bigger and better than we ever have before. We are going to have coaches tracks, managers tracks, owners tracks. There is going to be so much learning. We're bringing in so many great instructors to teach at this conference. You're not going to want to miss it. It is going to be the conference of the year without question. So getting into the episode, the truth about D2 gyms, dot, 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 and D1 gyms. Look, I hear this all the time on social media, and it is, it's proliferated on ASGA and other groups, or I see this in the small gym owners group, and it's this, uh, this attitude that we don't understand one another, uh, that you know the, the mega gyms will never understand what it's like to be a small gym, and the mega gyms say, you know, have the same opinion of like, the small gyms never under, will never understand what it's like to be a program like we are and to deal with the things that we deal with. And, um, you know, we hear this go back and forth and it's just kind of this perpetuated thing. So I wanted to, to weigh in. Um, and what's made even worse is when brands weigh in on this discussion, uh, and say that, you know, and they particularly do it with small gyms, you know, these small gyms do X, Y, and Z. And, they, they really don't do that. And I am lucky enough to, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm technically a D2 gym. Uh, we have about 115, uh, elite competitive athletes each year, roughly around that. Um, sometimes a little bit more, sometimes a little bit less. Uh, we have a growing novice program, which is really exciting. Um, but we're right around that 115, 117 mark pretty consistently. And, so we're, we're a small gym, but we're a larger D2 gym. And then, and we are, we're a D2 gym that has had a world's team for literally ever, uh, since 2008, I believe was the first world's team that, uh, our gym originally created was the first dream that, uh, we ever had. 
And um, so we have a world's program, but I also am lucky enough to work with so many gym owners um, that are, some of them are micro gym owners. I've worked with gym owners who have had 10 and 15 athletes in their entire program. And I understand where they are coming from. And I've had gym owners that I've worked with that grew their program from 25 to now 200 plus competitive athletes. So I've seen kind of the gamut there. I have, we have coaches, Shelly has 300 plus uh, athletes in her competitive program. And I'm fortunate enough to be close friends with people who have worked at some of the biggest names in the business. And I, I actually employ a lot of people who work at large gyms with dream camps. And these are, these are people who work at big names, like really, really big name gyms. And we have a friendship and we have a relationship. And so I hear things from their perspective. Now they're not the gym owner, but I at least get that inside glimpse of kind of the mega gym life as well. So I'm going to weigh in and kind of tell the the truth as I see it in regards to D1 and D2 and some of this uh, conflict that occurs in our industry. Now, this has come up a lot in two ways. One of those ways is uh, people talking a lot about the age grid and the changes to the age grid and how um, it's going to be the death to small gyms by making the open age 18 and a variety of statements that some I I think are, I don't think anyone has ill intent. I just think people may not fully understand uh, or not may not be articulating themselves as well as they might intend to or, or be using exaggeration to get their point across. And number two is uh, it has shown itself recently more often uh, in a couple ways with the way brands are kind of approaching the industry and and a feeling that brands do whatever the mega gyms want them to do, which I don't think is fully accurate, um, but also some assumptions that get made. And one of those things is this conversation came up this last weekend. I was talking to a, a friend who is a gym owner and they were telling me that, um, and I'm going to be very general, um, so I'm going to not use any sort of and identifying factors here. So this gym owner told me that a brand executive had reached out to pick their brain and wanted to give them some feedback and and hear some things and listen. And in the course of this conversation, this individual made a general statement of, you know, we need the D2 gyms to stop um, being D2 because it's costing all of us money. And it was kind of this statement that D2 gyms were intentionally being D2 gyms, and therefore it was costing everyone more money. It was costing events producers and brands to spend more money than they would if, and kind of an attitude of there would be more people in cheerleading if D2 gyms were just pushing to become D1 gyms. And so that's going to launch me into my my six truths that we're going to talk about. And I'm just going to go one at a time. I'm not going to tell you them all ahead of time because uh, I think it will ruin the suspense. 
So number one is in direct response to that statement or that insinuation. And that is that D2 gyms are rarely, if ever, D2 simply by choice. All right. Like I said, I, I know countless gym owners. I know so many gym owners. I'm a D2 gym myself. And we are not a D2 gym because we cut a bunch of kids. Like, I don't know. I'm sure that they exist. There is probably a D2 gym or two that exists because they want to be D2 and they may turn people away. But we do not turn people away. We are not D2 because we are only wanting to be D2 and we're scared to go D1. We're D2 because those are the number of athletes that I have. Those are the number of people that come to my level evaluations and I place on two teams and we lose athletes throughout the season. People quit just like any other gym, right? So it is not that we are sitting there cutting a bunch of athletes and telling people, oh, we're at 124, turn around, there's the door. We try to find a team for people. Now, are there options? Like, do we have our people who can barely walk and chew gum at the same time, can't do a back walkover, can barely do a forward roll and a log roll, do we put those kids on novice teams? Absolutely. That's what novice exists for. Do we want to go into the D1 division for the 41 kids we had come into our doors this year who couldn't do any of those things, didn't want to travel, didn't want to pay the higher cost for choreography and elite teams and extra practices and all those things? Yeah, absolutely. I don't want to go D1 for those people who don't want to compete elite. Yes, that's correct. I don't think that's an unreasonable statement to say. And there are other gyms that would tell you the same thing. Gyms that are of my size. Then there are a lot of gyms, the majority of the D2 gyms, that don't have over 100 athletes. They aren't even close to that 125 range when you look at their percentages they're they're further away from it and they don't they're not turning people away they're the gyms that are when one athlete quits they're concerned about paying the bills when you lose 5 to 10 athletes that can have a major negative impact on your bottom line when those 5 to 10 athletes equal a singular percentage of your total enrollment with every single drop so I say all that to say we're not choosing to be D2 and like keeping people out of the sport. I have not talked to a single gym owner that says, I want to keep more people out of cheerleading, so I'm going to stay D2. Nor do many of us stay D2 simply because it's easier. I would argue, come on out to the West Coast. The D2 division is murder. We have some really, really good D2 gyms out on the West Coast, especially the Pacific Northwest, because the bulk of gyms are D2. There are some phenomenal D2 programs in the Pacific Northwest. So it's not like it's some easy ride to summit by going D2. Now, what it does do is would I say that it maybe is a little bit easier to get into the top 10 at the D2 summit than it is at the D1 summit. Yeah, I I think it maybe is a little bit easier to get into the top 10. But I think when you start looking at the top five teams in each division between D2 and D1, I 
think a lot of those D2 teams do stack up, stack up pretty closely to some of those D1 teams. There are some really, really, really talented D2 programs out there. So I don't think that it's just like all these people doing it for a competitive edge. I think some people out there very rarely will do things simply for the competitive edge, but the vast majority of gym owners, especially your small gym owners and your micro gym owners, they're doing whatever they can to survive and keep offering what they offer in their community. So I think it is an unfair statement to make it sound like D2 gyms are intentionally staying small because it's easier. I, I think that is a cop out and is a little bit of an unfair um, statement. All right. Number two, this kind of goes into the age grid one. Um, actually, I'm going to go back to number one for a second. Uh, one of the things I would tell anyone who believes that we are are doing that uh, in the D2 gyms is I, if you can tell me, if you can promise me 200 paying athletes to come into my door and participate on my elite teams that I can level appropriately. You want to give me 200 kids. I'll take them. So if, if you have that list somewhere, feel free to send that to me. Okay. You can send it to Dan at nextgenowners.com. You can send me the list of all the emails of all the kids that uh, I've apparently been turned away those 200 paying kids that want to be on elite teams and pay for elite travel and all that stuff. And I will happily, happily add them to my rosters and I will compete D one next season. Hand to God. I promise. All right, now back to it. So world's athletes leaving D two gyms are rarely, if ever a nail in the coffin to a D two gym. And this has been said a number of times by a number of people in regard to the new age grid. Now, all these world's kids are going to leave and they're going to go to, to the mega gyms. They're going to leave and go to the big gyms and to the established world programs. What do you think is already happening? Like we're used to it. Like, sorry, you, you're not scaring me. I've had athletes leave my program and go on to those flagship worlds programs and they've won worlds and placed top three at worlds and good for them. I'm happy for them. I'm proud of them. I am proud to be a part of their journey that has led them to a world championship. I have athletes that I've coached that are on team USA. They've won worlds on, on claw seven. They have won worlds with team USA. They have won NCAA nationals. And you know what? I'm honored to be a very, very small part of their journey and their process. Like that's fine with me. It doesn't bother me at all. So do I love losing athletes to bigger gyms? No, I don't. I certainly don't. Uh, love that. I've had athletes leave me when they were sophomores in high school to go and compete with another program. They've left, they've lived with host families, and they've gone and competed, and they've won worlds. Did it destroy my gym? No. And at the time that that one happened, I think we only had about 75 competitive athletes, and 20 of them were on my world's team. And this was one of my best athletes, and they left and was where I, was I happy about it? No, I wasn't, but they left, they did their thing and they won worlds and then they came back and that doesn't always happen, but it wasn't a, it wasn't a death nail. The majority of these D two gyms with world's athletes, like, do we want to lose them? No, we certainly don't. Um, but the changing of the age grid 
I don't really see being that big of an impact. And on top of that, uh, if it is for a lot of D2 gyms, it's actually going to make the money because a lot of the D2 gyms I world work with, even though they shouldn't reduce fees or scholarship or help out their world's level athletes in contrary to what I tell them to do, because I would tell them not to scholarship people, um, but they do that. So those athletes leaving will actually in the long run end up saving them money. And you don't have to have a world's program to be a successful D2 gym and continue to have athletes joining your program. You just don't. The, there are many, 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 many D2 gyms that are kicking butt and really competitively successful and have athletes joining every single year. So it is not the be all end all of their survival. All right. My next key point, D2 gyms are the lifeblood of the industry, All right? That's the truth. Whether you like it or not, D2 gyms are the lifeblood of the industry. Many of the athletes that funnel to the larger programs start in D2 gyms. They start somewhere local, and then they start to travel when they get to their higher levels because they're looking for a more competitive environment. And that is what it is. There are way more D2 gyms than there are mega large gyms. And those D2 gyms pay the same, if not sometimes more because they're not being, there's no incentive to get them. So they're not working quite as hard to get us D2 gyms to register for events. So we're not quite getting the same discounts. Our rebates are less, right? So they're, they're paying the money. It, when you look at number for number, the D2 gyms are bringing a lot of the bodies into the industry on top of, you want to talk about choreography, music shoes, apparel, all of those things. It's the D2 gyms that are supporting the industry. It is the D2 gyms that are propping it up. It's not the D1 gyms that are spending all that money on choreo because most of them are doing it in-house. D1 gyms have, especially the mega gyms, have way more resources available to be able to do their own choreography, to be able to get discounted rates, to be able to get uniform uh, companies to give them uniforms or give them reduced rates to be able to have that logo be associated with their uniform. So choreographers rely on D2 gyms. That's where all their bookings come from or the, the majority of them. And that's, that is the lifeblood of the industry. It's the, the D2 gyms. They're the ones who are spending the money uh, in the industry to try and get that competitive edge because they don't have as many resources as the D1 and the mega gyms do. Now, if D2 gyms are the lifeblood of the industry, this is where if you are a mega gym owner or a D1 gym owner, I hope you held on for a little bit because I'm about to say some, some truths about you and they're not negative. D1 gyms and mega gyms are the heart of the industry. Okay. They are what pumps the blood through the industry. It is the D1 and the mega gyms that continue to drive the train. They're the ones, a lot of them are the ones that are innovating, that are creating the environment that we exist in. It's a lot of the D1 gyms that are training the coaches that you then hire to come into your gyms and do clinics or do your choreography or build your 
your stunts or any of those things. Like it is the D one gyms that are pumping in the mega gyms that are pumping the blood throughout the industry and keeping the industry moving because they do listen to them. We do need big fish in the pond to, you know, battle out the sharks, however you want to look at it. But like they are important. They are pumping the blood through the industry. So D2 gyms may be the lifeblood, but the lifeblood doesn't circulate without the heart and the heart doesn't survive without the lifeblood. So like we, we go symbiotically together. My next point, and this is one that gets missed all the time and I think is poorly represented. And I know a lot of people hold their tongue because they choose to be professional on it. But being a large gym doesn't mean that life is easy street, not even close. Okay. Small gyms, D2 gyms, like uh, how often do you hear people talking about how, how much drama they have to deal with and how their staff is driving them crazy or how their parents are just so over the top and they just can't imagine it. And it's so difficult. These parents are so demanding and send so many emails or any one of a million problems you have in your small gym. Okay, well, multiply that by 500 because that's what the mega gyms have to deal with. People seem to think that just because people go to a big name program that that means that they don't have to deal with parents being difficult or they don't have to be deal with people potentially not paying their bill or they don't have to deal with staff not following the rules. That's not true. They, they absolutely do. They absolutely do. And that doesn't mean that their athletes just automatically are good. Like that's not true. They still have the same challenges with tryouts, the same challenges with wanting to get kids and kids jumping around to other gyms and losing talent. Like they still have all of those challenges. They actually just have them on a large scale. They're dealing with those things at a order of magnitude higher than we have to deal with in a small gym or a micro gym. Now, have they theoretically created delegation and there are people who handle those, some of those things and so it's not all on the owner's plate? Yes, probably. I certainly hope they have or else they're going to go insane. But you deal with different things at each level of owning a business and of having a gym. Do you think it's easy? Like, do I recommend franchising? No, I don't. But do you think it's easy to have a bunch of franchises and out there that you're trying to control, but you don't have full control over? Like that's hard. Now you might say, oh, well, you know, oh, woe is me. Well, we all live in, well, most of you listening to this live in the United States, Canada. We live in, and we participate in a sport that is kind of more for the high end of people. Like we live in a very wealthy society. And so, I mean, there are people out there who would say, oh, woe is me to all of us complaining about our issues. So to say that someone's issues should be discounted just because you don't think they're a big deal doesn't mean that they're not their issues. So being a large gym or being a mega gym doesn't mean everything just comes easily. You still have to work. You still have to train your athletes. You still have to have high expectations. You still have to manage your staff. Now you just have more staff. So it's not just a simple rudimentary, your life is easier because you have more people. 
And I, I think that is an important thing to realize. And it, it's easy to look and go, oh, wow, your life is so easy. Your life is so great because you're a, you're a mega gym. And it is. In some ways, they have great things. But hey, if you're, uh, if you're a cheer athletics or you're a top gun and you mis- make a mistake at a competition or one of your staff members does something embarrassing, that ends up all over everywhere. It's on Twitter. It's on Instagram. There's everyone and their mom talking about it. Whereas when you're a micro gym, if one of your staff members does something stupid, boneheaded, maybe no one knows about it. So you're under a different level of scrutiny. Imagine being an athlete on one of those teams. When you're an athlete on one of those flagship teams and you are the reason a stunt comes down, especially if you're one of the cheer liberty kids, horrible thing, and your stunt falls, everyone's talking about how your stunt fell and you messed up and posting videos of you bouncing off of the floor. So there are different challenges at different levels. And it's important for us to remember that. Lastly, my last point, and this goes to D1 gyms and D2 gyms. Just because a gym wins and is competitively successful doesn't mean they do business the right way or they're financially successful. Now, who determines whether or not someone does business the right way? Well, it's my podcast, so me. Um, no, I'm, I'm kind of kidding. Um, I, to some extent, though, yes. Are they doing business in a, a moral way, in a legal way, and in a way that is uh, beneficial to themselves as the owner, their staff as their employees, and does right by their consumers? That is the right way to do business. So just because they're winning, though, doesn't mean that's the case. I know lots of gyms that win lots of things. And at the end of every year, they're broke or they wasted money on things or they spent money they didn't have or they scholarshiped people or they recruited people and paid them money, made them basically paid athletes. Like there are a variety of ways that you can go about life and win at competitions but not win at running a successful or ethical or moral business. So be careful about who you look up to and who you take your advice from if that is important to you, which I believe if you're listening to this podcast, it is important to you. You don't want to just take business from anyone or business advice from anyone. There are lots of people out there who have advice that it may not necessarily be good advice. So be cautious about who you listen to and who you idolize and emulate. Just because someone is competitively successful doesn't mean they're financially successful. Okay. And those banners and those trophies aren't going to pay the rent. And this is why you see gyms that have won worlds and won summit and won these prestigious events and won NCA close close and find out that their staff got hosed on getting paid or that they left events unpaid. So just because people are successful doesn't mean that they are someone to be emulated. So who do you emulate? Well, 
I think you emulate people who exemplify things that you look up to, whether that be they're competitively successful, whether that be that they're financially successful, they have a certain number of kids with great retention. Um, there's a lot of things to look for. We here believe at NextGen that we kind of have a formula figured out for the right way to do business. And if you're looking for some advice, uh, you're looking for ways that you can do that, we have it structured to help teach you how to do it the way we do it. So we we believe in what we are doing. In summation, though, I think the most important thing is to realize that we all in this industry are one industry. And we need to do our best to see things from one another's perspectives. And if I've said some things here that have opened your eyes or maybe given you a different perspective, then that's a win. I'm hoping that you can see things from someone else's point of view. Because if we can do that, and if we can see things from one another's point of view, we are going to grow as an industry. We can support each other better. We can understand where each other are coming from and give each other better support and better advice in those moments because we know where that person is at. As opposed to simply assuming that no one else will understand where it is you are, no one else has ever been there, or everyone else has it so much easier than you. And that's not always the case. So as you leave this episode, I hope that you have gotten something amazing out of it. I hope you have enjoyed listening to me espouse on all of the pros and cons of the cheerleading world um, and the differences between D2 and D1 gyms. If you're looking for another great podcast, you got to check out the Let's Talk Cheer podcast with Jason Larkins. He has amazing guests on from all sorts of gyms with amazing advice and coaching experience that can help you grow as a coach and grow in understanding this industry. And if you've loved this podcast, make sure you share it with someone who will get something out of it. And with that, we will catch you on the next episode. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Next Generation Gym Owners People and Profits Podcast. If you would like to be featured on our podcast, click the link in our description to apply. If you're interested in joining NextGen, visit our website at www.nextgenowners.com. And lastly, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast to make sure you don't miss any future episodes. Thanks for listening.